Welcome into the fade. I'm Clay Travis. He's Todd Furman. It is conference championship weekend and Furman is dressed for a softball game. You got a big uh, big team game there with that shirt on today, bud? You know, I got the baseball jersey and I can roll it up to the sleeves. I have to get a little bit dirty here to cover for your ass most of these episodes. So I feel it's only fitting. The only thing I don't have is the baseball belt and an old school, you know, trucker cap to really top this off. By the way, your fiance got to attempt a field goal at MetLife Field where the Jets and the Giants play just in New Jersey outside of New York. And she almost uh, double, uh, it looked like ankle broke herself. Has she recovered? How is she in a walking boot? Is she surviving right now? You know, honestly, Clay, she was closer to pulling a Carson Wentz, spraining both ankles the week before he played the Tennessee Titans than she was to actually putting that through the uprights. Uh, apparently, you know, at her age, there's a little bit more flexibility in those ankle joints that she claims she didn't wake up. It wasn't swollen. It wasn't broken. And I was thrilled that I didn't get a phone call from a local emergency room in the tri-state area. You know, ironically enough, though, she said that video was actually better than how she fared trying to catch a punt. She needed Clay Travis there to teach her the proper technique to win a car in the middle of an NFL stadium. For people who don't know, when I was 22 years old in, uh, I believe it was the fall of 2002, uh, I won a car after going on the field at the Titan Stadium and catching punts. I had to catch a 25-yard punt during halftime and a 40-yard punt. Uh, and I did that in flip-flops, t-shirt and shorts, which you know, Furman, is like 90% of what I wear on a day-to-day basis. Wait, hold, hold on one second, though. Before you finish this story, why did you not kick off the flip-flops and at least run around barefoot? Tell me you didn't keep the flip-flops on to try and catch the 40-yard punt. No, I kept them on. I mean, that's the kind of athlete that I am. I didn't kick off the shoes. Uh, you know, I didn't know what the reaction might be to me going barefoot. So uh, I kept them on, and uh, that makes my performance all the more impressive. Part of it is just... You know, there's a huge percentage of people that when something goes into the air, they have no idea how to judge the depth perception of where it's going to happen to land, right? And you know this because I coach Little League. I spend a ton of time on this. The number of times that I've had to tell kids, hey, first step back. You know, don't ever... There's so many people still who when something goes into the air, they immediately run in And then the difficulty of having to turn and catch something either over your shoulder or backpedal far enough to be able to make a play, it still astounds me. So when this was not directly off the foot of a punter. This was out of a jugs machine. So, you know, I mean, you you know that the jugs machine is not going to be 100% accurate. It can be five yards short, five yards deeper maybe than you anticipate. Uh, But if you just judge the way it's coming out. So anyway, I made the play. I won a Mercury Mountaineer and a, a huge... Uh, pontoon boat so uh, for a 23 year old who had no assets at the time that was a pretty nice uh, pretty nice combo did you did you actually keep the boat and the car or did you sell it because I know a lot of times like if you watch the prices right or any game shows most people don't have the money to pay the taxes yeah. so they end up selling the actual vehicle or whatever it is so they can pay down the taxes and they pocket the cash more than anything else. No, that's what I had to do. Uh, I didn't have any real assets. So I sold the boat in order to pay the taxes on the uh, on the car because I don't know what I would have done with the boat otherwise. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was I lived in an apartment condo complex. It's not like I had space for a huge boat just to be able to park. It's not like I had a house or some huge... Uh, some huge shed or some huge even garage at that point in time. So yeah, people who don't know, that's what I, that's what I want. Um, we're talking to 
Well, yeah. I, w- one final thing, and then I know we'll get into the games. The one thing I will say from previous experience that was the hardest for me from a depth perception standpoint was actually when we were down in Miami for the Super Bowl and James Harrison threw that 20-pound medicine ball. Oh. I'm convinced that thing almost went through my chest. Up 15 <laughs> feet, I'm camped under it, and I'm just glad my arms are still attached because that is one large man, and if you ever underestimated how strong you have to be to throw that thing, uh, the way James Harrison tossed it around like it weighed six ounces – Maybe the most incredible feat of strength I've ever actually witnessed. We on. were on for people who didn't see that. We were on a uh, like a volleyball court, right? And you had to yep. throw the medicine ball. The idea was you throw the medicine ball over the the net. It's a full size height volleyball net, and to be strong enough to throw a twenty pound medicine ball over the net is like most people. I don't even think could hardly do that because you have to get it up so high. But he was like yep. halfway back on the volleyball court. Uh, it was a sand pile, basically, sand court. And he yanked it, twisted it, and threw it like way up in the air. And I didn't even want to attempt to catch it because I was like, when you try to catch something that weighs 20 pounds coming down from that far, uh, you attempted to catch, which was uh, something I wasn't even willing to do. Yeah, not the smartest move. But uh, all right, on to the games. Uh, we got Cowboys Saints tonight. Uh, Alvin Kamara has been announced out. Uh, the expectation is the Saints have obviously got major quarterback issues. Jameis Winston is out. They're replacing Trevor Simeon and they're going to be on now uh, to uh, to a new quarterback and then Taysom Hill. And then you've also got the Cowboys that have had all sorts of issues with the health of their wide receivers. They talked about resting Ezekiel Elliott. They're not going to do that. I'm on the under but I also think the Cowboys are going to win because I just don't think the Saints can score what say you? Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, this total's come down a little bit, so it's not the best of the number. I think we're down to 46 right now at FanDuel Sportsbook. And I think a lot of the skepticism here is about this Saints offense. Will they be able to move the football, not only without Alvin Kamara, but down three key cogs in their offensive line? I mean, all of us watched that game Thanksgiving night and saw Buffalo do what they wanted, when they wanted, through the air. This New Orleans defense, I think, is worn down. They're still good against the run, but against this Cowboys passing attack that's going to be healthier than it's been in recent weeks. I'm not sure it's a great matchup by any stretch of the imagination. I also think Kellen Moore not having uh, Mike McCarthy on the sidelines will be more dynamic in his play calling. And this is a game that can snowball quickly on New Orleans. And I'll go one step further. If you're looking at the prop market, Clay, I mean, I'd be inclined to bet Taysom Hill under his rushing yards, under his passing yards. I think this is the Saints having no other option, realizing Trevor Simeon hasn't been the answer. But Taysom Hill is far from 100%. I mean, it's a pain threshold injury that he's dealing with. And if he was truly healthy, he would have been out there weeks ago, not waiting until the Saints had already lost four straight. Uh, All right, let's go into into the college football marketplace and then we'll come back for the NFL because we've got conference title game weekend. Um, And uh, I'm on, I'm going to run through some of my uh, conference title game picks here. I'm just going to give you all of my picks and then we'll break down some of these games. So here's where I am for the college football conference games. Utah, I like to cover against Oregon. Pitt, I like against Wake Forest. I also like the over. Uh, Iowa, Michigan, I like Michigan and I like the under. Uh, I like Georgia and I like the under in the SEC title game over Alabama. Uh, And I also like Oklahoma State to cover against Baylor. Let's go through those. I just told you that I like Georgia and the under in the SEC championship game. By the way, we will be there. Uh, We're doing a show from 1 to 3 Eastern at Stat Sports Bar 
in Atlanta, if you're a Georgia or Alabama fan, or you just live close to Atlanta and you want to come watch our conference title game pregame show, two hours. I will be on for the second hour there from two to three. We'll be live. Chad Withrow, Jill Savage, Jonathan Hutton, and special guests from one to three at Stats Sports Bar. I'm on the under. I'm on Georgia to cover against Alabama. What sides do you like, Furman? Well, first again, did Link get the invite? Will he be able to attend the SEC Championship knowing that he is a diehard Alabama fan despite your best teachings throughout his upbringing? Yeah, no, so he got to go to five different trips with me on uh, the OutKick bus tour, my 11-year-old did, including the Iron Bowl last weekend, which was an awesome experience in Auburn. But he is not going because basketball season starts and he's got two basketball games uh, on Saturday as he does pretty much every weekend from now till March. Uh, so that is what's going on. He'll be home with that. It's just me. I'm spending Friday and Saturday night down in the ATL. I'll leave tomorrow right after my radio show to get down there for an event we're doing Friday night uh, for Buffalo Trace and then we have a public event on Saturday from 1 to 3 uh, Eastern early in the afternoon before kickoff. But like I said, I love Georgia and I love uh, the under. Let me give you a stat here, Furman. Bama won four games in the SEC by seven or fewer points in uh, this past year. In the previous six seasons, they won three by seven or less. Ultimately, I just don't think the Tide are very good. I think Georgia rolls, wins by double-digit, low-scoring game. You know, this game is fascinating for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, you talking about how vulnerable this Alabama team has been compared to what we've seen from the previous editions. I mean, if we just looked during the month of November, they had to outlast Arkansas, who's mediocre by SEC West standards. I mean, they had to hold on for dear life against a downtrodden LSU team. Uh, and last week in a game that you saw in the flesh, I mean, Alabama needed a 97-yard march in the waning seconds to force overtime against Auburn, which I know we hit on Monday, but I still can't figure out why Tanks Bigsby doesn't slide down in bounds and why Brian Harsey no decides not to go for two and win in the final play, or at least with the ball in his hands. But I digress there. When you look at this number here, I mean, Alabama was a three-point underdog a few short weeks ago, so odds makers have been forced to adjust this price based on you know, recent performance and perception as much as anything else. You wonder what Alabama has left in the tank having to play the Iron Bowl where Georgia got a glorified dress rehearsal in their rivalry game against Georgia Tech last weekend. And then you talk about this Alabama offensive line, which is the biggest question mark coming in against Georgia's defensive front. I do think it's always scary when you get a team that's as well coached as what Nick Saban brings week in, week out, catching this many points, because you have to go back, I think, to 2007 to find the last time Alabama was nearly a touchdown underdog against anybody. And when you look at this Georgia offense, I think that's the biggest question mark. I know Stetson Bennett has been efficient. They've shown big play potential, but have they really been pushed by an upper echelon defense, maybe since week one against Clemson, where they failed to score an offensive touchdown? Yes, I know JT Daniels was the starter then. So you do wonder about Georgia's ability to run away and hide and how aggressive Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin want to be airing it out to potentially set up the ground game given that Georgia doesn't have a ton of difference makers on the offensive side. But I think under makes a world of sense. I don't think there is a lot of value laying six and a half. I do think Georgia's defense will rise to the occasion. I think Alabama's defense knows that if they're going to have a chance to pull off the upset and keep their playoff hopes on life support or punch a ticket, I should say, they're going to have to hold the Bulldogs to maybe 21 points as the top threshold. It's a fast track, always scary in Atlanta, uh, but I could see a scenario where Georgia potentially built the lead. They sat in it 
So I like the game under the total if I was trying to make a case in this contest. Now, as far as some of the other matchups that you outlined, Michigan-Iowa, I mean, the number is actually a bit short if you're trying to make a case for Iowa, but you do wonder about Michigan and can they run it back as effectively given the emotional expenditure that we saw on full display. I mean, that was one of the more you know, ridiculous atmospheres. To credit to Michigan fans for creating it and then everybody hanging around in the stadium to sing Mr. Brightside in the wake of ending that long losing streak against Ohio State. So I wonder if Michigan can be as laser-focused as they were here. I don't think Iowa provides a lot of threats. I mean, this is an offense yards per play that's outside the top 100. So I think Michigan can win, but I'm a little bit reluctant to lay that number. Uh, as far as the ACC title game, when you look at Pitt and Wake Forest, uh, I don't think I can go over the total there. I think Pitt's defense doesn't get enough credit. They've actually played a little bit better in recent weeks. And the one thing Pitt does is they sell out to stop the run, and they're also great at getting after the quarterback. So they may be able to create you know, a Havoc player to force Wake Forest off sequence and ultimately be able to run away and hide. So I do like your pick there of Pitt. But this is a tough week. I mean, you have 10 games. I think the numbers are very efficient. And there's not a whole lot of wiggle room. The only things that I've dabbled on, you know, I bet Houston's team total under 21 and a half earlier this week, went under 54 and a half there in the AAC game and took a small, and I mean very small position, you know, on Baylor, Oklahoma State under 48, because I think Oklahoma State's defense can really stymie the Bears offensive attack. I said I've got Oklahoma State and Utah. I'm taking both favorites in the Big 12 and the Pac-12 there. Pac-12, by the way, just to remind people, tomorrow it's a Friday night game. We'll probably sneak up on a lot of people. You said you took a small position on uh, on the uh, the under for that game. Anything else that would stand out? Do you like Utah or you like Oklahoma State? You know what? In the Utah game, it's actually going to be the first college football game I'll be at in person all season long tomorrow night. Um, but when I look at this spot here, I think Utah, I mean, they have had this game circled. There's no doubt about it. Every All the talk has been they want to be the first Utah program to finally have a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. But you do wonder the false sense of security they could be lulled into because of that dominant performance in Salt Lake City. I mean, that game closed in that three, three and a half range. Here we are on a neutral. And I think all the value is actually on Oregon. But again, when you look at this Ducks team, Anthony Brown has been a different quarterback home and away. I mean, 17 of 35 in the game against Utah. Uh, the Ducks were held to their lowest rushing output of the season with just 43 yards. I think Mario Cristobal gets his team going. And at three, I would definitely lean towards Oregon uh, in this game and also could make a slight case for going under the total. I think both these defenses will be all right. And I'm very curious to see the kind of atmosphere created and how some of those Utah fans will travel, knowing some of their Pac-12 championship shortcomings in recent experience. College football playoff. We talked some about the odds. Georgia now a pretty prohibitive favorite to win this thing. Any value to you on teams potentially winning the national championship? My prediction would be that it's going to be, I think Georgia is going to be Bama, as I said. Georgia will be the one. I think the two seed is going to be Michigan, who I expect to beat Iowa. I think the three seed is going to be Oklahoma State, who I expect to beat Baylor. And then the four seed will be Cincinnati, who I expect to beat Houston. Um, Then you would have Georgia against uh, against, uh, Cincinnati and Michigan against Oklahoma State. I like Georgia to win that foursome. Anybody outside of those four you think are going to end up in the playoff, Furman? Any value on the national title futures at this point in your mind? So I do agree with your foursome there. I think that's what's going to happen. I know there are a lot of college football purists or blue bloods, whatever terminology we want to use, that are probably rooting against Cincinnati 
because they don't want to see a group of five program get included. But my whole take is if not now, then when? And Cincinnati has answered the bell when needed. We've seen them play arguably their two best games of the season defensively against AAC opponents and completely shutting down SMU and ECU the last two weeks. They went on the road and beat a Notre Dame team that wasn't quite the same Irish side that we saw late in the year, but it's still an impressive road victory. And just to kind of look ahead, I mean, Georgia projects to be anywhere from, you know, 16 to a 17 point wow. favorite in that semifinal matchup against Cincinnati. So I don't see value in either of those two teams. But I do think Michigan, this is a team that if they're able to get through Iowa in a little bit of a sleepy spot, even in a championship scenario, that hasn't been given enough credit for not only what they bring to the table on the defensive side, but you look at their offensive numbers. I mean, this is the most dynamic offense that Coach Harbaugh has had because he's going to have healthy running backs in Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum should they get to the semifinal. We saw Donovan Edwards explode as a receiver in the game against Maryland. I think he finished with 10 catches for close to 170 yards receiving. You have a tight end in Eric All. You have a couple of receivers that have filled in nicely in the absence of Ronnie Bell. And the one thing for Georgia, all the talk this season has been, you know, you have to have an explosive offense to put Georgia's defense in a difficult position. I'm going to go the exact opposite. I think what you have to have is a very good defense to make Georgia's offense struggle a little bit because they haven't been in a four-quarter fight, and I think Michigan checks those boxes. So I would make a case for Michigan. I think they're 14 or 15-1 to one at FanDuel at last check, and that would be the team, I think, a little bit of a dark horse to potentially win the national title. What would that line be if that was the national title game? Georgia against Michigan. That game, by the way, would be played in Indianapolis, which is a little bit unique of a location. Obviously, probably would be Although Georgia fans would travel like crazy. Georgia fans would travel, right? That, yeah. would be, that would be a wildly difficult ticket because Michigan hasn't played in a national title game in 20 years. Uh, and you would also have Georgia, which hasn't won a national title since 1980. What's the line look like in that game? So for that game, I mean, so much will hinge on public perception. And so I know it's a caveat and a little bit of a cop-out, but if Georgia were to go out there and say, sneak by Cincinnati you know, by a touchdown and Michigan potentially obliterated their foe. Let's use Oklahoma State hypothetically. You know, you could see a number open right around a touchdown. For me at this point, if those two teams were to play on a neutral, I would probably use Georgia in that nine, nine and a half range, maybe a shade lower. I wouldn't want to go as low as a touchdown, um, but I also wouldn't want to go as high as 10. But at this point as well, I think Michigan stock is clearly trending up. And what you have in play, why Georgia isn't a touchdown favorite against Alabama, is the coaching matchup as much as anything else, where I think a lot of people would look at Georgia against the Big Ten champion and be a little bit reluctant. Uh, but I could see it anywhere from 7.5 to 9.5, barring injury or something you know, outside of the scope of our comprehension happening between now and a potential national title game. All right, here are my NFL picks. Let's shift to the NFL now. I've got the Falcons plus the points, Bengals to cover, Giants-Dolphins the under, Ravens-Steelers, I think the Steelers bounce back as bad as they were against the Bengals and play better at home against the Ravens. I've got the Jags plus the points and the Broncos plus the points. A lot of underdogs. What stands out to you from a gambling perspective about the week's slate in the NFL? We already talked about Cowboys Saints, but as you look ahead to Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting week because you have a ton of teams laying big numbers here. And this is the time of year where odds makers are going to force you to pay a premium if you want to back those so-called elite sides. Uh, we can start with that Rams-Jaguars game and kind of work backwards a little bit. I mean, this is a Rams team that I think a lot of people, yourself included, thought was going to run away with the NFC with the addition of Matthew Stafford. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, they've shown quite a bit of vulnerability. The offensive line, probably not as good as we anticipated they'd be early in the season. 
I think people have undervalued how important Robert Woods was to the offense, not just as a receiver that could line up in the slot and the outside, but what he meant blocking on the outside for, you know, the run game, something that Odell Beckham didn't want to do in Cleveland. And he clearly doesn't want to do as a member of this Rams offense. And for all the superstars defensively, I mean, they haven't exactly lived up to some of their, you know, preseason expectations. I think Raheem Morris has really struggled to get them to buy in, but I'm not sure I'd want to step in front of them this week, knowing that Jacksonville is a little bit loose in the secondary. And if the Rams can't get healthy here, I mean, this thing may spiral out of control completely. The Falcons, it's a side I agree with completely with you. You look at Tampa, they've yet to cover a game on the road so far this season. Uh, and the game first time around against Atlanta, I know what the final score says, 48-25, but it was a three-point game going into the fourth quarter. A couple of pick sixes that allowed the Bucks to run away and hide. So I do think you get an all-in effort from the Falcons in this spot. I can definitely see them being in this one from start to finish. As far as that Broncos-Chiefs game, uh, I mean, this is a game where we actually bet the total on the opener early on in the week uh, at 49 and a half. I think defense can rule the day. It's always a little bit scary fading Andy Reid off of a bye, knowing that I think he's 14-7-1 against the spread the last 22 times he's had extra time to prepare. But when you look at Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, this guy has lined people's wallets to the tune of 5-0 against the spread as a road underdog of eight or more, or an underdog anywhere of eight or more in his career. I think at last check, 23-4 and four against the spread when he's catching points on the road. I just don't know if he's at 100%, but I think Denver's defense can do enough and in a low-scoring game. It's extremely attractive to gobble up all those points. Um, you know, there's there's not a lot of great games. What do you think about that Ravens-Steelers game? Are the Steelers done? Does Big Ben have any proverbial bullets left in the chamber? I mean, my biggest fear for the Steelers isn't even their offense. I know they were uh, pathetic last weekend getting trucked uh, by the Cincinnati Bengals, but it's a defense that's getting by on the logo on their helmets more so than actual production. I mean, they've now given up 40-plus points in back-to-back games. I mean, they're trending towards being the worst rush defense in franchise history as far as a yards per carry standpoint. And you have Chase Claypool coming out earlier this week saying we need music in our practice to try and help <laughs> us, you know, motivate and get us more engaged. I mean, you have former Steelers and Alan Fanica uh, and Ramon Foster along with, you know, Rocky Blyer who have not exactly taken to this new age Steelers evolution. We saw a little bit of that last year when Juju Smith-Schuster was recording Mike Tomlin. I wonder if the changing of the guard and the Steelers isn't that same blue-collar work ethic that we've seen in the past. I think Baltimore can get healthy here. I mean, Lamar Jackson was terrible uh, on Sunday night, even in a Ravens cover. But when you look at Lamar and have, knowing that he lost last year to the Steelers, the Ravens lost the season series because they had one of those games where they played with about three healthy bodies uh, given some of the COVID protocols. I'm going to lean towards the Ravens here, despite how good Big Ben has been in his career as a home underdog and an underdog in the division. Last game to hit you with. I think it's a super intriguing one, given how well the Bengals have been playing. Chargers, obviously Justin Herbert, always a danger in terms of he can go off. He's had an up-and-down season a little bit. Certainly the defense has as well. Chargers sitting at 6-5, and five, going on the road against the 7-4 and four Bengals, who have been one of the great surprises so far in the season. Bengals around a field goal favorite. What happens? Yeah, I mean, I think Zach Taylor is an absolute dud as a head coach. Let me get that out there now. So the Bengals doing what they've done this season uh, is remarkable, in my opinions, because Taylor's going to have a chance to win, you know, coach of the year, probably mentioned in the same breath as Cliff Kingsbury and what Bill Belichick has been able to do in New England. I think it's a three-horse race there. But you look at Cincinnati, and Joe Burrow has been the difference maker. Uh, even last week, they didn't do a whole lot in the passing game, and teams have really started to shut down Jamar Chase. 
T. Higgins steps up with a massive day, and you see Joe Mixon go absolutely bananas. I mean, he's now the number three leading rusher in the league, and he's really emerged as a true dual threat running back, not only as a runner between the tackles, but as a receiver out of the backfield. And I think this Chargers run defense is going to be put in a difficult position. Uh, but you're not stealing anything uh, with the Bengals right now as a field goal favorite. If the number got to three and a half, it would warrant a value bet for me from the Chargers. Uh, but with Asante Samuel looking like he's going to miss, the Chargers lose one of their top components uh, in that defensive backfield. So I think it's all about Justin Herbert and what he's able to do. So let's see what this Chargers offense looks like. But pretty incredible as we sit here the first week in December, Clay, talking about a Chargers team that may be on the outside looking in of the AFC playoff picture when so many people early on had Justin Herbert as a potential MVP candidate uh, and they were ready to anoint Brandon Staley, one of the best head coaching hires of this past offseason. All right, it's early. Last question for you before you get to your softball game. Uh, Monday night is actually going to be a phenomenal. I'm getting old. Uh, Monday night's going to be a phenomenal game. It's early. A lot of games to be played between now and then in the NFL. But do you have an early lean or an early take on Patriots headed on the road against the Bills? The Bills are down to less than a field goal favorite. Yeah, it's not a game I've bet. Uh, I'm interested to see where the money continues to come in if it's going to create a, a unique buying opportunity uh, for either side. And I want to monitor the weather forecast because it looks pretty ugly as you'd anticipate you're going to get in Buffalo uh, this time of year. But I think people are buying Patriot stock at the top of the market. And as this number comes off at three, trending towards two and a half, I mean, I have a strong lean, at least the way things stand now towards Buffalo hoping potentially for a cheap money line. We'll see if I get involved as we get closer to kickoff. Uh, But I'm not ready to buy into a full changing of the guard here. I think Mac Jones is going to have his biggest challenge to date playing in those type of conditions against a defense that's really feasted on an inferior schedule of opposing offenses in the Bills, but I think will be primed for this particular spot. And when you're talking about playing under the lights in a standalone spot, you know Bills Mafia is going to be out in full force for this game. Uh, so at this point, it's bills are passed. You couldn't get me on the Patriots. I'm just not sure I'm going to get to the window with a ticket on Buffalo or the total uh, right now. Hopefully, I have something a little bit stronger when we reconvene about, you know, what, 72 hours from now, break this game down on Monday. No doubt. It'll be fun. We'll see you again on the Fade Monday edition. We'll also have the college football playoff matchups and the bowls set for you as well. We'll discuss all that and more. I'm Clay Travis. He is Todd Furman. This has been the Fade.